year, we have been meeting Jesus face-to-face in John's Gospel, and we've talked a lot about what Jesus did and what Jesus said, how he prayed, and how he died. And now as we come to the end of the Gospel, as we complete this journey through John, we're going to see how meeting Jesus affects a person. What meeting Jesus does to a person's life. Namely, in today's passage, Peter. How meeting Jesus changed Peter and what that means for you and for me. And so, let's look at John 21 We read 15 through the end of the gospel. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to Jesus and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? That's the, uh, that's the, the writer of this gospel, John the Apostle. When Peter saw him, that is John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about this man? Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. But Jesus didn't say to him that he wasn't to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for all that you have said to us through John's gospel And we thank you ahead of time for all that you are going to say to us this morning, all that you already have said to us this morning through John's gospel, so that even if we weren't here for most of this sermon series, we're here today and we've heard from your word 
And now, Lord, we pray that you would bless our reading and our hearing and the preaching, that it would be effective. God, would you bring the truth off the page and would you apply it to our hearts so that we would be forever changed, just like Peter. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to give you a little bit of, of context for where this comes in the story, this is, uh, this is the third time that Jesus appears to his disciples after he, he rises from the dead. And so uh, if you remember, if you were here last week, um, Jesus had told his disciples to go to Galilee. And so they went, and they're fishing uh, through the night one night, and Jesus appears to them, and he gives them a miraculous catch of fish because they had caught nothing on their own. And then he invites them to the shore, and they have a meal together. And so this episode happens just after they've finished breakfast. Jesus and the disciples have been eating. And then Jesus looks at Peter, and he he says something, and he asks him something that is very penetrating. He says, Simon, son of John. Now, what is the moment of your greatest regret? What is, what is the moment of your greatest failure? And I imagine... Because every one of us, especially if we're old enough to have memories, has something like that. And I imagine that moment is poignant enough that there is probably a phrase or a word, a trigger, if you will, that, that brings, brings it back in front of our mind's eye. And so what we're going to see today is that Jesus takes sin-sick sinners restores them to God, and gives them a new hope, a new start. That's what he does with Peter. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Simon, son of John. And that doesn't seem like a very big deal unless you realize that the very first time that Jesus met Peter, that's what he called him. He said, you are Simon, son of John. I will call you Peter which means rock. And so it's as if Jesus is triggering all the memories of the past three years. Jesus, is, in some ways, is saying, Peter, it's time to start over. Let's go back to the beginning. And if you know the life of Peter, you know how important that is for Peter. You see, Peter... Peter was a proud man. And Jesus asked him here on the beach, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? These what? Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than your previous occupation as a fisherman? That's not what Jesus is asking. Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? It seems like an odd question, except that Peter at one point really thought that he did. If you go back to the night of the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples have finished up their dinner together, and Jesus begins to tell them what's about to happen. 
And we know, if you read in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus gets very graphic, very specific, and he says, all of you will fall away. They're going, the the religious authorities are coming for me, they're going to arrest me, and all of you are going to scatter. All of you will fall away. And do you know what Peter said? Not me. He says, Jesus, even if all of them leave, even if all of them fall away, not me. I won't leave you. In a sense, Peter is saying, Jesus, my love is stronger than their love. My devotion to you is stronger than theirs. They may fail. I won't fail. You see, Peter thought he loved Jesus more than they did. Of course, we know that there's no way, there's no way Peter could have even known that. He couldn't have seen into their hearts. Um, coaching soccer this past spring, we had a really good team, and that had nothing to do with the coach and everything to do with the, uh, the want-to of the players on our team. But uh, we kind of started a nasty habit. Uh, the, our players, and these are, these are all children under eight, our players would show up to the game, and, uh, and we didn't lose a game. We tied once, just kind of like losing. Um, but we won every other game. And so towards the uh, middle point, the end of the season, the players w- would start showing up, and they would look at the other team warming up and be like, oh, yeah, we're going to beat them. And you would have to coach them. You have to tell them, hey, listen, until the clock hits zero, you don't know who's going to win this game. Um, yesterday at the workday, heard one of the, the young men who will remain nameless adamantly saying that Alabama was going to win the Iron Bowl. And most of us have lived through enough Iron Bowls to know that there are no guarantees. That, again, until the clock hits zero, you don't know who's going to win. There's no way you can make that boast, but that's what boasting is. It's declaring something that you really can't know. And that's what Peter does. He adamantly tells Jesus, I won't fall away. Not me. My love is stronger. My love is better. And then Jesus is arrested and he's taken into the high court of the Jewish council and Peter is just outside warming himself by the fire. And there is Peter. There's this rock. And he's reduced to rubble. By a servant girl. Hey, aren't aren't you one of aren't aren't you with Jesus? No, not me. And then later on, are you sure? I'm I'm pretty sure I saw you with him. I'm telling you, it's not me. Yeah, yeah, your your accent, your accent gives you away. You you're with Jesus. Dang it, I'm telling you, not me. And as soon As Peter says that, the rooster crows. Peter remembers what Jesus had told him in Matthew 26. Peter, even you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And the rooster crows, and Peter remembers, and he looks at Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, And he weeps bitterly. Peter is a failure. And so am I. And so are you. 
I am Peter. And I think most of us would agree, most of us would agree with the statement that we all make mistakes, right? To err is human. But Peter didn't make a mistake. Right? Mistakes, a mistake is very different. A mistake can be fixed with whiteout or with autocorrect. What Peter did, no, that's a moral failure. That's what the Bible calls sin. At the crucial moment, Peter betrayed, rejected, disowned Jesus. That's more than a mistake. Mistakes can be fixed. Moral failures, well, they really can't. There's no autocorrect for that. No whiteout is white enough. And so if you, if, you think, if you think that your worst problem, our worst problems, are that, uh, are that we just make some occasional mistakes, if you think that your blow-up at your wife is a mistake, that your pornography addiction is, is just a mistake, That your thinly veiled bitterness and hatred towards other people, gossip, is just a mistake. Then the Bible says, and Peter would say, that you're living in denial of your real condition. Because mistakes don't need forgiveness. Mistakes just need more work. Mistakes just need to be prettied up. Mistakes just need to be fixed. But... But what about the things that you can't quit? What about the things that you can't seem to fix? Jesus asked Peter in front of all of these disciples, in front of these other men, do you love me more than these? Peter had boasted in front of all of them. And so he now has to own it in front of all of them. And he has to be restored in front of all of them. And three times Jesus asked the same question. There's different verbs for the word love there. And some scholars think there's significance. Some don't. Most don't. But when Jesus asked Peter for the third time in verse 17, when he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter is grieved. Why? Because Jesus asked not once, not twice, but three times. Peter remembers how many times he had disowned the Lord. And now, three times, he gets to confess his ownership again. Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity to undo his denial. And you notice, too, that when Peter answers Jesus' question, he doesn't say, well, of course, Lord, you know that I love you more than the rest of them do. No, Peter knows better now. And he doesn't say, Lord, I did my best. Lord, I said I'm sorry. No, the only thing that Peter has to appeal to is the all-knowing love 
of Jesus. Lord, you know all things. And you know I got nothing left. You know that there's nothing else for me to stand on. You know that I love you. Isaac Watts captures this beautifully in his hymn, I Boast No More. No more, my God, I boast no more. Of all the duties I have done, I quit the hopes I held before to trust the merits of thy Son. Now for the loss I bear his name. What was my gain I count my loss. My former pride I call my shame. And nail my glory to his cross. What is your boast? What is your glory? For Peter, it was his ambition, his rock-solid devotion that was never going to waver. Until it did. Until it crumbled. And he did the one thing that he swore he would not do. And the beauty of the gospel is not that Jesus comes to Peter and says, All right, grab those bootstraps and do it better next time. The beauty of the gospel that is that comes to, Jesus comes to Peter and he takes him back and he restores him. And we know that he restores him because of what he tells him. Next, he also, three is the magic number for this passage. Three times Jesus asks, do you love me? Three times Jesus says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then three times Jesus responds with a mission. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Again, probably not a big difference in the, difference, uh, in the, in the words used there. You could say that ministry is for the young and immature lambs as well as for the older sheep. Both need to be fed, though some in different ways. But the really important thing is that that Jesus is telling Peter, you're still mine, and I've got a place for you. I've got a mission for you. I'm restoring you to send you back out. And so in Peter, we see a sinner restored from his fall. And we see a sinner sent out after his fall. And that's the way ministry has to happen. And not just for the professional ministers or for the professional elders. I mean, just think about this. When you hire someone for a position or if you're going to build a group or an organization, what do you look for? Moral failure? People who make empty promises? Is that, are those the kinds of people you would like to build a world-changing organization on? Of course not. And yet, who does Jesus start the church with? Peter. A moral failure who made promises that he couldn't keep. 
who bragged about how great he was in front of his other friends, who really, by the way, weren't that much better than him. And then at the beginning of the church, look, if you want another, if, if you want another evidence or another testimony that, that the Bible is true in what it says, and that the message of the Bible is, is, gospel, is gracious forgiveness of sinners, think about... If you were going to write your story, how would you tell it? I mean, surely you would put some of the bad parts in there, but you would really want to throw some spotlight on the good stuff, your successes and what you did well. What did the disciples look like when you go through the Gospels? Scaredy cats. Timid. Proud. Failures. That's who Jesus starts with. That's who Jesus continues with. And what does Jesus ask Peter? Do you love me? Love for Jesus must precede ministry. Love for Jesus has to precede what Peter is about to go through. Jesus tells him. Right? He He tells him what he has to look forward to. He gives him this little proverb and then explains what it means, right? He says, when you were young, you went wherever you wanted. But when you're old, your hands will be stretched out, you'll be dressed, and someone's going to lead you where you don't want to go. Peter is going to glorify God by dying on the cross like Jesus. Peter is going to endure that. The one thing he must have, even as Neil said in our time of confession, the one thing Peter must have and the one thing you and I must have is love for Jesus. And so Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep. Notice, too, who the sheep belong to. Jesus doesn't say, here you go, Peter, they're yours. He says, no, take care of mine. Take care of my sheep. Jesus entrusts the care of his flock to faithful men who will follow after him. And how are they fed? How are they cared for? Well, in John chapter 10, the way that the sheep are led is by following Jesus' voice. And so if you want to know what a faithful minister is, what a faithful shepherd looks like, he holds the shepherd in front of the flock. He holds Jesus' voice above all. That's why we want to be a church that loves and seeks to understand and seeks to apply the Bible. Because the words of Jesus feed the flock of Jesus. And then Jesus says, To Peter, follow me. Follow me. Which is exactly what he said to Peter the first time they met. Jesus is starting over with Peter. And that's what he does with all of us. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer to the Hebrews says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
since we have so many people who have gone on before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Jesus restores broken sinners, and then he says, follow me. You who have no business following me, you who have no right to follow me, it's okay, follow me, come after me. By my grace, you can follow. Jesus tells Peter what's to come. He tells Peter that the the finish line is shaped like a cross. And he says, run. Run after me to the finish line. And what Jesus says to Peter, he says to you and to me, run towards the finish line that is shaped like a cross. Cast aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely. Do you think this is the last time that Peter had to wrestle with his pride? I think it's the last time that Peter boasted and had to repent. No, sin clings closely. It slows us down. But we are in a marathon, not a sprint. We are in a marathon towards the finish line that is shaped like a cross. And we follow Jesus. And even in this passage, right, Peter has to be reminded of what is most important. Because as Jesus and Peter are walking along and as they're talking about these things, Peter turns and he sees his good friend John. I don't think John and Peter were rivals. I think they were friends. They'd known each other for a long time. They had a close relationship. And so maybe it was out of concern that Peter asked. Maybe it was out of uh, t- too much, I don't know, too much love of comparison. But, but Peter looks at John and he says, what about him? What's he going to do? You told me that I'm going to go to the cross. Is, is he going to have to go to the cross too? And what does Jesus say? It's none of your business. What's it to you? You follow me. What's it to you if I give John a long life and he has an opportunity to write a written account of me before he finally dies in exile under arrest? What's it to you? You follow me. You run with me. Don't worry about John. I tell my, it's common to tell your children, don't you worry about your brother. Right, usually, usually in our house it revolves around cleanup time. Right, guys, I need you to clean up, clean up the playroom before we can go get ready for bed. And of course, all I really want to happen is like, let's just get ready for bed, please. Um, go clean up, go clean up the playroom. Let's clean up. And inevitably, someone says, "So and so's not cleaning up." Right? We love. We have a. We we we. We live in a culture that thrives on comparison. Who am I better than? Who am I worse than? Who am I doing a better job at obedience than? 
And we need to hear Jesus tell Peter and tell us, you follow me. Because I know that when I'm paying more attention to someone else's run than I am to my own, I'm actually not doing my job. Right? When I'm paying more attention to someone else's obedience, someone else's faithfulness, than I am to my own, then I am neglecting. I can, I can guarantee you that when I walk into the playroom, the one who is shouting about the other not cleaning up, ain't cleaning up. Right? Jesus says, let me worry about John. You follow me. Let's go back to the question that Peter asked Jesus. Because at the end of the day today, and at the end of your life, the foundational question that you must answer and that I must answer is, do you love Jesus? We can do lots of good things and we can think lots of right things thoughts and even have good motives, good intentions. But if it is done without a love for Jesus, it's nothing. Do you love Jesus? Jesus didn't ask and he doesn't ask, did you vote Republican? Jesus doesn't ask, do you love the poor. Jesus doesn't ask, are you a respectable person? Jesus doesn't ask, how many people have you told about me? Do you tithe? Are you sorry? I mean really sorry over your sin. What Jesus asked to restore Peter is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love Jesus? Do you love the only one who can take that one thousand moments of regret, not mistakes, but moral failure, and forgive you and make you new and set you on a new start? Do you love him? Let's pray. Lord, the words of our prayer as we finish the Gospel of John, as we have come face to face with Jesus so much, and now as we stand once again before Him and we see Peter restored and transformed, Lord, our prayer is that the same would happen to us. That we would acknowledge our own failure, our own sin, and that we would cling to Jesus and say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That our prayer is that 
of Elizabeth Clafain who wrote these words, Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. A home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way. From the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. Upon the cross of Jesus, mine eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart with tears, two wonders I confess. The wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. I take, O cross, thy shadow for my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face content to let the world go by to know no gain nor loss my sinful self my only shame my glory all the cross we ask it in Jesus name